following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning and welcome this morning. We're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 26, uh, the trial of Jesus uh, before the high priest. So we'll be reading in chapter 26, uh, beginning in verse uh, 57. 26, starting in verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God, and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, "What uh, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Um, as Jesus uh, moves closer and closer to the cross, he's now brought um, to the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the council of Jewish leaders made up primarily of the priests uh, and the scribes, uh, where they are going to try him. They're going to determine... Uh, if Jesus is worthy of death. And uh, the trial really centers around this one very simple question. And the question is simply, uh, who is Jesus? Right? And, and that really is the most important question that any of us will ever answer. Uh, more important than, like, even what's for lunch. It's important as that is, right? Uh, the real question that's, that every person must wrestle with on this whole planet is, who is Jesus? And what are you going to do about it, right, based on your answer to that question? And that really is the question that the uh, Sanhedrin, this council, is wrestling with. Jesus, who really are you? Right? Uh, and, and it's a sketchy trial, uh, and there's a number of improprieties, things that weren't quite right about this trial. First, it was at night, uh, which was not clearly um, the way it should have been. It should have been during the day. Uh, Jesus has not provided any defense or even really uh, um, a, a lawyer or a representative, to, a representative to help defend him. He cannot call his own witnesses. Um, and and then under Jewish law, at least later, um, it, was, it was against the law to sentence a person 
the same day they were convicted. In other words, it had two days for a trial like this to take place, but we know that did not happen with Jesus. So there's a lot of things about this trial that are very sketchy and uh, clearly not a fair trial or certainly justice. Um, uh, but it wasn't necessarily bad for them to put Jesus on trial. And, and really, uh, if we think about it, every person who's confronted with Jesus, every person who even just hears the name and knows that Jesus represents some kind of religion, uh, really must do the same thing. They need to put Jesus on trial, and they need to decide uh, what they're going to do with him. Right? Is he a false teacher? Is he a false messiah? Is he one that we can just shove aside and dismiss as irrelevant? Or uh, do we have to follow him? Do we have to trust and believe in him? And um, we, we must make this judgment about Jesus uh, because of who he claimed to be. Right? He didn't claim to just be a prophet or a teacher. If he had said, oh, I'm just a prophet and I'm just delivering a message from God, then we would judge his message and we would decide if we were going to accept his message or not. Uh, but Jesus makes a claim to be far more than just a prophet or a teacher. And his claim forces every human being to make a decision not just about what he taught, but about Jesus himself. Right? Everybody has to decide who Jesus is, and as a result of that, what they're going to do about it, what they're going to do with Jesus in their own life. Uh, so, so here's the questions we want to look at today. Who did Jesus, by his own words and admission, claim to be? So first, the most important way to answer that question is, well, how did Jesus answer the question, who is Jesus? We want to look at that. Second, uh, we all must decide for ourselves if his claim is true or not. Uh, and how do we make such a decision? How do we decide if Jesus is who he claimed to be? Um, and, and, and how will that decision impact our life? Does it really matter? Like, is this really a question that, that really matters in life, or is it just a little piece of trivia? So uh, when the Sunday school teacher asks, you know, we can get, raise our hand and get the right answer. Right? Or is it more than that? Right? And I believe that, that how we answer this question makes all the difference in the world in our life. Um, and, and what we see here is a great example by the Jewish leaders of how not to answer the question. Okay, not so much because I think they got the question wrong, but really the process by which they examined Jesus. Right? We don't want to do it like they did. So let's start off by looking at, at how, they, how they put Jesus on trial as a negative example of what not to follow. Okay, don't do it like these guys. And, and the first thing that we see, kind of the main thing we see with the, the leaders, with the high priest and this council that are gathered, is that they come into this with a very closed mind, right? They, they have already made up their mind about who Jesus, who Jesus is, right? And uh, they are determined before Jesus even arrives at the, priest, at the high priest of the house, which, by the way, was also illegal. They weren't supposed to have a trial in the home of the high priest. Uh, that's where it is. And before he, Jesus even arrives there, they've clearly made up their mind. And first basic principle is simply this. It's hard to see the truth when you've already made up your mind. Right? And unfortunately, that's how many people approach Jesus. Right? They've already made up their minds about who he is. And so don't, don't confuse me with the facts. Right? That's kind of, that could be a model for a lot of things, a lot of, not just Jesus nowadays. 
uh, right, I've already made up my mind. Uh, closed off to facts or new ideas or opinions that are different from one's own. Uh, their minds are made up and nothing will change it. So we see that in verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Uh, and Peter, we'll talk about Peter next week. Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside he sat uh, with the guards to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. Okay, so right here we have the purpose of the trial. The purpose is to put Jesus to death. They've got to find a legitimate reason to put him to death. Uh, and, and it says they do this by seeking false testimony. Now that doesn't mean, and, and oftentimes we read this and we think that the Jews were looking for false testimony. Like, like they put up a sign outside the hall saying, Need, needed false witnesses who are willing to lie about Jesus. Okay, now that's, that's not what they were doing. And as we'll see as this goes on, they actually are trying to execute something of a legitimate trial, right? Uh, the, the word false witness is, is clearly supplied by Matthew. Okay, and that's because Matthew knows that Jesus, and, and Matthew believes who Jesus is, and Matthew's convinced that the only way they can convict Jesus of any wrongdoing is if they lie about him, right? Because in, in Matthew's mind, uh, Jesus was without flaw. He had never done anything wrong. He was completely innocent. And so the only way to uh, come up with a guilty verdict is to have some false testimony or false witness about him. Uh, but what we see here is that they've already made up their mind. They're, they're convinced that Jesus is guilty, and their purpose is simply to kill him. Uh, there are several different ways you can go about justice, right? And uh, the country where I come from, America, the slogan goes like this. You are innocent until proven guilty. All right, so in, in a court of law in the United States, you're presumed, you're assumed to be innocent until there's a burden of proof to show you are guilty. Now, in other countries, maybe in your home country, they kind of flip that around and they say, no, you're guilty until proven innocent. And so the burden of proof then becomes showing your innocence and you are assumed guilty. Um, but that, wasn't, that was not the case with these guys Either way, right? That was not their goal. Their slogan was this. Jesus is guilty. We just need to prove it. <laughs> he's guilty. We just got to come up with some way to prove. what it, We don't even know what he's guilty of, but he's guilty of something. right? And we're going to find it, and we're going to convict him, and it's going to be something worthy of death. right? And so we see that they only consider evidence that supports their view. Right? Um, if you've already made up your mind, you close off your mind to all the other evidence that contradicts what you've already decided, and you look for things that line up in agreement with what you've already decided. Right? And this is how it works. The chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found no one, though many false witnesses came forward. Okay, so this is kind of a problem for them. They need a false witness, and they got lots of volunteers. So the sign they put out there, need false witnesses, somebody who will lie about Jesus. They didn't have that sign. But lots of people came and were saying all kinds of things about Jesus. Uh, but they don't call the disciples. Interestingly, they don't call anybody who were healed by Jesus. And we know from the Gospel of John, for example, that, uh, that uh, 
But they knew about Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. In fact, the knowledge of Lazarus' resurrection actually just made them angrier and made them that much more determined to kill him. Right? So they're not looking for real witnesses. They're not really looking for truth. Uh, they're looking for people who will line up with what they want to hear. And, and, and uh, it doesn't say their motives here, but we know from other parts of the gospel that their motive in all this was ultimately to protect the status quo, to keep things the way they were. And the reality is that if Jesus was the Messiah, right, if Jesus was, was this Messiah that, uh, that he claimed and that, that the crowds were, were, were chanting, right, if that was true, it would turn their world upside down. And it would mean that these guys would no longer have power and control they would no longer be in charge. They would answer to this new leader. Uh, and and uh, they feared that Jesus would dramatically change the way they live. And of course, they, they misunderstood a lot about what Jesus meant by the term Messiah, as we'll see in a minute. Um, but, the, but the truth is that Jesus would turn their world upside down. And, and the reality is that for anybody who's confronted with Christ, one of the greatest uh, threats to really answering the question is, uh, and, and really searching out the full truth about who Jesus is, is the simple reality that the truth messes with your life. Right? Bottom line, you cannot uh, be confronted with truth and go away unchanged. The truth confronts us, and the truth demands change. Right? That's why some people, when they get really sick, and they just know inside, I think, I've, I think I had a heart attack. I think I've got heart problems. Or I think I've got cancer. And, and instead of rushing to the doctor, right, they, take a, they take a Tylenol and go back to bed. Right? Why? Because if I go to the doctor, he's going to tell me the truth. And I'm going to have surgery. And I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And they're going to stick me and jab me. And maybe I'm going to die. It's better if I just don't know, because then I don't have to change anything, right? That's exactly where these guys were. Uh, And the truth is, Jesus will turn your world upside down. Not only would he turn their world upside down, but the fact is, Jesus wants to wreck your world. Bad news, right? Um, uh, And we assume that the change will be for the worse. And actually, it is for the worse, for our selfishness, and our pride and our sinful habits and lifestyle. Right? And, 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 and anybody who proclaims a gospel message that says, you can follow Jesus and, and it won't mess, mess your life up. Like you can just keep your sinful life intact and still follow Jesus. That is a false gospel. That is not the gospel that, that Jesus taught. It is not the Jesus that the Bible proclaims. And it is true that Jesus loves you just as you are. Right? So when you come to Jesus, you don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to do anything. Jesus accepts you just as you are. Broken, hurting, sinful, messed up. But here's the thing. Jesus loves you so much that he does not want to keep you just as you are. Right? He, he takes you just as you are. He doesn't want to leave you just as you are. He loves you enough that he wants to see something better. Right? He wants to change you to make you who God created you to be. Which means crushing our pride 
and our selfishness and our sinful lifestyle. Right? He wants to make you a better you. Uh, but our pride and our selfishness violently resist that change. Right? So a lot of people re- reject Jesus from the very start, not because they've considered the evidence and they found it short, but because they fear what it will mean if Jesus is Messiah. Right? Uh, and that was tr- certainly true of these men. Um, second thing we see from them is... Um, uh, and it's, it's a little ironic. It says, The chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found no one, even though many false witnesses came forward. Now, that, to me, that's just is a funny statement, right? Like, I'm looking for liars, but they can't find a good enough liar. Like, what are they looking for, right? What does it take? Like, if you need false witness, how hard can it be, Right? Why was this so hard? Why, why was it they couldn't find... Many came forward, right, and said all kinds of things about Jesus. Why was it this not working? I just think that's funny, right? Well, the problem was this. Um, they needed two witnesses to agree in order to hand down a death sentence. So what's, what's interesting here is even though they're doing all kinds of things illegal and all kinds of things that are not according to any any order of justice, at the same time, they, they, there's a, some sense that they've, they've got to make this look legitimate. Right? So they're actually doing this like a trial. So they put somebody on the stand and they say, what do you know about Jesus? And they say something, and the lawyer will examine, cross-examine him, will ask questions. And time after time, these guys were such bad liars that uh, they couldn't even get their own story straight. And they couldn't come up with two guys to lie about the same thing, right? Their lies contradicted each other. So they couldn't find, uh, they couldn't find proof, right? And we know this is true because it says, it continues on, at last, finally, two came forward and said the same thing. This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Um, what's ironic here is they really are searching for real evidence, Right? They really do want something real to nail on Jesus. And so they don't just drum up false charges on their own. They're looking for, for some people, and they actually need two of them, who can uh, agree on something that they can put on Jesus. And finally, they get what they want. Um, but the problem is this. They confuse searching for evidence with searching for truth. Right? They confuse searching for evidence with searching for truth. And they think because they've got this process and because they've uh, asked the right questions and they put witnesses on a stand and they finally have come up with evidence that they are in the right. But they're flawed because uh, from the very beginning they've never been pursuing truth. Right? They've only been looking for evidence. And, and the reality is that the, pr- the pursuit of justice must, must ultimately be the pursuit of truth, or it's just a lie, right? Uh, and so any, any genuine consideration of the question, who is Jesus, must have as its goal the absolute pursuit of truth, not just piling up of evidence. And the reality is that in our world, in our modern world today, uh, the world has come up with all kinds of evidence 
that says Jesus is, is not who he says he is, that he couldn't be. And we call that evidence science. We call it logic. We call it reason. right? Um, but evidence is never the same thing as truth. But people feel good because they have some evidence. They have some basis for their decision. But it's because they were never seeking truth in the first place. They just want to convince themselves that their idea and their thinking is correct. That their verdict is justified. But that's not really um, the way to judge fairly who Jesus is. And finally, um, the last wrong principle is if if you look long enough, you will find evidence that supports your point of view. It's pretty much given. Like if you want to believe something... Especially nowadays with uh, access to social media and, and all that stuff. Like if you look long enough, you'll find, uh, if you want to believe that, you know, that, that, that you're the only real human being and all the rest of the world are, are aliens, there's proof out there somewhere, right? You can find anything and you can find proof for it. And that's what they did. They kept looking and looking and looking until finally they found what they were looking for. At last, two came forward who agreed. Um, but it's funny, they, they got the proof they were looking for. And it says in verse 62, And the high priest stood up and said, he was so excited, Finally, two guys agree. He jumps up, Hey, Jesus, uh, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? He thinks he's got him now, right? But Jesus remained silent. And the problem was that... Um, even though these guys agreed, their testimony was not like all that great, right? Um, uh, what they said was uh, that Jesus was going to destroy the temple, and then he would rebuild it in three days. Um, and of course, Jesus remained silent, which is mind-boggling because this is not actually what Jesus said. Like Jesus could have said this. He could have said, "Look, I didn't say I was going to destroy the temple." I said, if you destroy the temple, I will rebuild it in three days. And I didn't mean the temple building. I was speaking in reference to my body, which, by the way, is exactly what you're trying to do right now. Right? You are in the process of destroying this temple. And I tell you, in three days, I will rebuild it. I will raise it up. Right? But Jesus makes no reply. He is silent. Um. But, but it really wasn't a very sound uh, testimony that warranted a death sentence, right? Because Jesus didn't say he was going to destroy the temple. He just said, I could, right? Uh, and the temple was a big deal. It was the very center of Judaism. And really, it was, their, their whole religion revolved around the temple. And, and with the temple, they, they could worship God. Without the temple, they really had nothing. So to speak against the temple uh, was really to speak against Judaism and ultimately the God of Judaism. Um, but, uh, but it was still kind of a shaky argument. But it raises a, a, an interesting point. And there was prophecy circulating, or a, uh, a legend, if you will, circulating at that time that said when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would actually restore and rebuild the temple. Um, so, so the, the high priest gets an idea. Um, and he starts another line of questioning. 
And the question is not so much about the temple, but about who Jesus is and his claim to be the Messiah. Uh, so, so the high priest said, uh, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And now we're getting a lot closer to the point. And the word adjure by the living God is really an oath statement. The priest is saying, look, I charge you on oath before God to answer me and to tell me the truth. Are you the the Christ, the Messiah? And Jesus says this. He says, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Uh, his answer is a little bit cryptic. You have said so. Does that mean yes or no? <laughs> right? You have said so. In other words, that's what you say. Okay, does that mean yes or no? Well, actually, it does mean yes. And Jesus is clearly agreeing with him. Yes, you have said correctly. Uh, but, but it also implies that it's not quite an all-out yes. As you say, yes, uh, I am the Messiah, but really not... Not like you think about the Messiah. So let me clarify it for you. Let me explain to you what kind of Messiah I am. And of course the priesthood and this council, they're thinking of a Messiah who would be a human ruler, who would come and overthrow Rome and establish Israel as a kingdom like David did. Uh, But Jesus says, no, that's really not who I am as the Messiah. Let 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 me give you the full picture. All right? He says, I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. In that statement, Jesus references two Old Testament passages. The first is Daniel 7.13. And it's interesting, the priest asks, are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus answers, yes, I, I am not the Son of God, but the Son of Man. And that comes from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay, do you get the picture here? Jesus says, no, I'm not an earthly Messiah who's kind of like David. I am a Messiah who's, uh, well, kind of like God. Right? The Son of Man, seated uh, before the Ancient of Days, who's receiving dominion and power and glory over everything. I'm, I'm that son of man, right? Also referencing Psalm 110.1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. All right, so Jesus is saying here, Look, I'm not, I'm not the Messiah you think I am. I'm actually equal with God. From this day forward, I am going to be seated at the right hand of power, God Almighty, the Ancient of Days, I am going to have power and authority to rule and govern the worlds. And someday you are going to stand before me and I will judge you. Right? You may think you are judging me now, but one day you will stand before me and I will judge you because I am Almighty God. 
world. Uh, needless to say, the Pharisee, the, 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 the Pharisee, the high priest flips out, right? He stands up and tears his robe, right? And said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. Right? They thought they could get him on a Messiah charge. Jesus just handed them something way better. Right? Jesus is claiming to be God, and that is blasphemy, unless, of course, it were true. Right? But they've already made up their mind that he cannot be the Messiah, much less God, right? seated at the right hand of power, ruling over the universe. Right? Surely that is blasphemy. And, and they feel now they have got what they want. Surely he is guilty of uh, calling himself one who is equal to God. And it couldn't possibly be true. Of course, they haven't really been seeking truth. They haven't put forward any real evidence to consider Jesus' claim. Right? Um, and, and Jesus says, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. What's interesting is, when did Jesus uh, step into this role? Well, it was, it was on this very day when he goes to the cross. Uh, and of course, it does reference that day when Jesus will return in glory. But Jesus is really speaking here of, look, I am going to the cross, I am dying. And it is through the very cross that I will bring about victory over sin and death and Satan. And it is the very cross that gives me the right to sit at the right hand of God in power. Right? Because it is through the cross that I am going to conquer every enemy of God and of, of humanity. Right? And, and I will be honored as, as the one who has the right to rule and who will one day judge. Well, with that, of course, they, they sentenced death. And it says, then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Right? They're convinced that now Jesus is absolutely uh, a bad guy. And they have every right to mistreat him and abuse him and ultimately to reject him. Uh, because he cannot be their Messiah. He cannot be their Lord. He cannot be their God. They will not, they will not accept it. And their, their decision is that no, uh, Jesus is not those things. He is just a liar. He's a deceiver. He is a threat to the nation of Israel. And so they mock him and they beat him. Uh, and they, they challenge him, prophesy if you're the Messiah. Uh, other Gospels tell us that at this point Jesus is blindfolded. And they slap him on the face. Tell us, O Messiah, who should know all things, who is it that struck you? First, little do they know that at that very moment, they were actually fulfilling prophecies that Jesus had already made. Right? Jesus had told his disciples, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Right? They were actually fulfilling prophecy that Jesus had already made. But they were too blind to see it. And we see here that, that Jesus is actually condemned by his own words. Right? 
And, and there, if it wasn't such a tragic scene, there is some kind of humor in this, right? Uh, this council of very important people who think they're pretty smart bring in Jesus, convinced that they're going to pin some, something on him that they can uh, call him guilty and execute him. And they bring witness after witness after witness, and they try through the night trying to find something, and they can't do it. And Jesus is silent, right? Finally, they find two witnesses agree, but it still is not really very convincing, right? And it's almost as if Jesus said, okay, uh, you guys are really pathetic. You guys really are stupid, right? Here, let me help you out. Here's what you need. And he hands them the exact thing they need to accomplish their goal. Is it because Jesus is stupid? No. Uh, We've seen over and over that when they sent to test Jesus, that Jesus could turn them upside down and inside out with his answers. At that very trial, Jesus could have spoken words that would have unraveled everything. Right? He could have so flustered and confused them that, that he could have walked out of there. But, but he does not do that. Instead, he, he speaks uh, and, and actually gives them and proclaims who he is. And what's most significant about this is that through Jesus' whole ministry, right, we've, we've gone through almost the whole Gospel of Matthew. And you can go through Matthew, you can go through Mark, you can go through Luke, and you can go through John. And you will never find a single reference of Jesus telling anybody, by the way, I'm God, the Messiah, sent from heaven uh, to die and save the world of sin. Now his actions point to it, and certainly uh, the gospel writers use Old Testament scripture to point to it, but Jesus never speaks the word himself. The closest we get is when Peter makes his declaration, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, yes, you are right. But never do the words come out of Jesus' own mouth until this moment. Like, Jesus, this is really bad timing. Why do you pick now to start telling people who you are? Well, for a couple reasons. One, because that really is the question that that he's on trial for. Right? That really is the question. Jesus, who are you? Right? And Jesus doesn't want them to guess based on other testimony. Jesus will declare it clearly to them himself. I am the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God, who will reign uh, forever at the right hand of God. It is by his own words uh, that he uh, will proclaim and make claim to who he is. It's necessary that they decide on the basis of who Jesus himself claims to be. He was silent about everything else, but the one thing he would proclaim is who he claimed to be. God, Messiah. Um, And what's what's interesting about that is that um, it creates a problem for us. It challenges, because if Jesus had said anything else, we would have a lot of options to consider about what to do with Jesus. But because Jesus said that, there's really very limited options about what we do with him, right? Very limited options. Uh, And the first option is to condemn him as a liar, which is exactly what they do. And actually, if that's your conclusion 
that, well, Jesus is just lying. He's a deceiver. He can't possibly be God. He can't possibly be the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. He can't possibly be the one sent from heaven. Then the logical conclusion is to reject him as a deceiver and a fraud. Um, I didn't come up with this first. Uh, C.S. Lewis did because he lived a long time before me. Even though I am old, I'm not that old, right? And, and C.S. Lewis puts the problem this way. Very familiar quote that you've probably heard, but it's just very accurate in describing what we must do with this claim about Jesus. C.S. Lewis says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. And that is that I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Uh, the Jews were, were consistent in what they chose. Right? They said Jesus is a liar, he's a deceiver. He should be mocked, he should be killed as a deceiver. And their motive was to protect themselves from the changes that, that Jesus would make upon their life. Uh, their method was to make up their mind before even considering evidence. And they pursued only evidence that lined up with what they already thought. So that they felt justified in their decision. Uh, so the only option for them was to reject Jesus. That he could not be who he claimed. Uh, he was just a liar. Right? And, and that is one option we have. Right? So if you're confronted with Jesus and you haven't decided yet, uh, you can decide he's a liar and a deceiver. Right? Or, like Lewis says, just crazy. A deranged lunatic. Right? But the only other option we have is that he really is Lord and God. That he is who he claimed to be. And who he claimed to be was not just an earthly Messiah, but a heavenly Lord who would rule over all creation for all time. Right? Um, and that his life and his death and even his resurrection supports that claim. That he lived not as a liar or a deceiver, but he lived as one who was Lord 
who did come to save us and to lay down his life as a ransom for sin. Uh, Was he the kind of person who lied and deceived? Or did he live the kind of life that supported his claim as Lord? And here's the thing. If it's true, right, if we look at the evidence and we with an open, honest heart and mind consider and we would say, yes, Jesus' claim was right. He is Lord. Then there's really only one thing for us to do about about it. And that is to fall at his feet in worship and acknowledge him as Lord and King. To bow before him in awe and most reverent worship. And to obey and follow him as Lord and Master. Uh, What's mind-boggling to me is how many people call him Lord who agree with Jesus' claim to be Messiah but really don't live as though he rules over and has right to rule over every part of their life, right? Because here's the, real, here's the real test. It's not how we answer the question. It's, how we, it's what we do about it, right? How we live our life. And if we claim Jesus is Lord, if we claim he's truly the one sent from God, uh, then we need to change the way we live, right? Because the truth is we will one day stand before him and he will judge us. And we will give an answer for our life if he's Lord, right? Are we ready to do that? Well, <clears throat> um, there's also good news in this, right? Um, uh, we, 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 we do need to think of him as Lord and as Master, but he's not a Lord who is cold and uncaring and some kind of tyrant. What we see in this passage is that he is a Lord who laid down his life for us. Right? He hands himself over. And what you see here is Jesus completely in control of this trial. Right? They can't convict him. But Jesus steps in and takes control and says, here it is. This is why you must kill me. Jesus gave up his own life. Right? He laid down his life for us because he loves us. Right? Because he's not a Lord who is a harsh dictator who wants to, to wreck your life. He doesn't want to wreck, wreck it in some ways. But not to destroy you. To make it good and better and right. Because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he laid down his life for us. Right? So how do you answer the question, who is Jesus? And more importantly, what are you doing about it today? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we do just stand in <clears throat> awe of you great and holy God who is seated at the right hand of power in heaven uh, on the clouds coming again one day to judge all humanity. And Lord, you open yourself up to be first judged by us. And you present your claims. And Lord, you give every human being the freedom 
to make their own decision about those claims. And Lord, we pray that that we, each and every one of us, would, would not be like the religious leaders who tried Jesus, but that we would come with an open mind and an open heart, and we would consider the evidence in search of truth, not just in search of protecting our sinful lifestyle, or protecting our pride and our selfishness that, that want to reject Jesus as Lord. Um, Lord, we do believe that you died for us. And your life was a fitting sacrifice because of who you are. That your sacrifice was sufficient to deal with our sin because you were Lord and Messiah. And you laid down your life for us. Lord, may we believe that with all of our heart and believe it in such a way that it radically changes our life. Lord, may we not be those foolish people who say you're Lord, but live as though you're not. Uh, May we live as those who acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. And with every fiber of our being, may we follow you and worship you and honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.